0: Uh, Good morning, Genesis. Uh, If you have your Bibles, if you guys would turn with me to Psalm 40. And uh, I'm going to be reading from the NLT. Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. Oh Lord, my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. I have tried to recite all your wonderful deeds. I would never come to the end of them. You take no delight in sacrifices or offerings. Now that you have made me listen, I finally understand. You don't require burnt offerings or sin offerings. Then I said, Look, I have come as is written about me in the scriptures. I take joy in doing your will, my God, for your instructions are written on my heart. I have told all your people about your justice. I have not been afraid to speak out. As you, O oh Lord, well know. I have not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I have, ta- I have talked about your faithfulness and saving power. I have told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. Lord, don't hold back your tender mercies from me. Let your unfailing love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins pile up so high, I can't see my way out. They outnumber the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. Please, Lord, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. May those who try to destroy me be humiliated and put to shame. May those who take delight in my trouble be turned back in disgrace. Let them be horrified by their shame. For they said, Aha, we've got him now. But may all who search for you be filled with joy and gladness in you. May those who love your salvation repeatedly shout, The Lord is great. As for me... I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my savior. Oh my God, do not delay. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time together. Uh, we pray, Lord, that this psalm written by your servant David would be a psalm that would pierce through our hearts, uh, would be a psalm that would speak truth to us in the different places that we are, in the different different stages of life and different stages of faith, God, um, we all find ourselves in the waiting room, and I just pray that your truth and your hope would meet us there in that place. Uh, Bless this time that we have together now, and it's all this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We hope that the book of Psalms has been uh, a blessing to all of you guys this summer, And uh, the Psalms have always been a favorite book of mine since I first became a Christian. And uh, I would encourage each, every one of you guys, no matter what stage of faith that you're in, to continually find yourself in the book of Psalms. And the reason that I think the Psalms are so special is because they deal with every kind of human emotion out there, joy, anger. Uh, peacefulness, frustration, anxiety, happiness, they're all in there. And the way that the Psalms play out is that uh, these emotions uh, are actually written to music. And so when you read the book of Psalms, you're actually reading lyrics to actual songs that we probably don't, we don't know the melody to, but they're lyrics to songs. And so they're short, they're to the point, they're raw, and they're honest, and it's in being raw and it's in being honest that we get a window into the intimate relationship that David had with God. And so, what do we know about the Psalms? We know that King David wrote about, you know, about half of them, making him one of the most famous uh, worship praise leaders of all time. Because think about how many uh, millions of people have come to faith, have come to be closer to God through these songs that he wrote. Even as a young shepherd boy, uh, King Saul, who was before King David, was tormented by an evil spirit. And the only thing that could soothe his mind in all the kingdom was uh, David's music as a young boy. And so now we see here in Psalm 40, one of the most famous psalms that the boy has grown up He's now a king, and he's written here a really famous song, and it's about waiting. But to be honest with you guys, I don't think anybody here loves to sing about waiting. You know, we hate to wait. Uh, for, for example, if you look at technology these days and how it's catered to, and it even creates uh, instant consumers out of people. You know, uh, this is for the older generation, uh, but remember when you were promised to get your package when you ordered it online in 10 days? And it was a really awesome thing when it came in like eight days, right? Now, everything that you order, it better come here in two days or you're going to be making some phone calls, right? We no longer have to wait at a restaurant or for a taxi, Uh, There's an app for that. Did you guys know that there's an app for dating now? Uh, You no longer have to go out, meet somebody, get a phone number, wait your standard two days before you ask them out. They're all on your phone. (laughs) Uh, There's an app for that. Um, Marketing professor uh, Jana Kiriman at the University of Texas said that, the need for instant gratification is nothing new, but our expectations of instant ha, uh, has become faster, and then as a result, our patience is now thinner, more than ever. Imagine how thin your patience must be when it comes to God, you know, with his long white flowing beard and his robe and his knee-high sandals floating on a cloud saying words like thou and shall, right? Some people might think that waiting for people is one thing, but waiting for God, oh my gosh, that's got to be one of the hardest things to do. Musician Tom Petty says that waiting is the hardest part. But from our passage this morning, what if waiting wasn't just something to bide the time, right? Like you're sitting in a doctor's office. What if in the waiting you could discover real peace and joy? The great philosopher Aristotle said this, Patience is bitter, but its fruit is sweet. David knew that even though waiting was the hardest part, it was worth it because in the darkness came deep intimacy and joy with God. The fruit that David wanted actually came through the waiting. And that's because David didn't just wait for anybody. He waited for the Lord. And so, as a result, God heard David and he put a new song in his heart. And so, how do we get to this place where God puts a new song in our hearts, right? And what does this new song look like? And so I'm going to, you know, list three points, but we're going to get a little creative and we're going to list it out like song structure. So point one or verse one is cry out to the Lord. Verse two is listen for the Lord. And then the chorus, verse three, or point three, um, sing a new song from the Lord. So cry out to the Lord listen for the Lord, and then sing a new song from the Lord. So verse one, cry out to the Lord. In the beginning of Psalm 40, when David is crying out to the Lord from the pit, uh, where there is mud and mire, uh, we have this image in our mind, and we see this image taking place in another part of the Old Testament. And it happens in Jeremiah chapter 38, verse 6, where King Zedekiah wanted to get rid of the prophet Jeremiah. And so he lowers him into this cistern, which is basically like this huge well-like structure, usually above ground. And he lowers him in there, uh, where usually uh, it was like the town's drinking water was held. But at the bottom of the cistern was a thick layer of mud, And when Jeremiah was lowered down into it, he began to sink. And so we see this image happening again in Psalm 40. And David is also in a pit full of mud and mire. But the Hebrew literally translates this pit as a pit of despair or desolation, right? So it's not the literal pit that Jeremiah was in, but this is a metaphorical pit of sorrow and grief of the mind and of the heart that David is in. The truth is that life is filled with waiting, right? Waiting from here, waiting there. And if, the, and if we're left waiting long enough in the room, then we can feel like we're sinking in the mud and in the mire. We need to cry out for something, for someone to save us. In our psalm, David is sinking in the pit and he's crying out. David also cries out in other psalms as well if we explore. For instance, in Psalm 18.6, he says, but in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from the sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. And then in Psalm chapter 6, verse 6, he says, I'm worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with tears, with my tears. Psalm 56, 8, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Most people will look at David. And they would say, man, for someone who is so loved by God, you're in the pit a lot. Even in our passage in Psalm 40, uh, David cries out a a number of times, four times to be exact, for God to come and for God to act quickly. And most people, if they were to know that, if they were to know David, they would say, stop wasting your time. God is not listening. And go and get professional help. But if we take a closer look, I think there's something in the way that David cried. And the way that he cried gives us a picture into the intimate relationship that he had with God. And so there are two observations that I want to make uh, that highlight this intimacy. The first observation is that David is honest with God. Examples of David's brutal honesty with God are sung all over the book of Psalms too. But if we just go over a couple of chapters in Psalm 43, this is what it says. David says, you are my God, my only safe haven, but why have you tossed me aside? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? You know, even though that this is scripture, I kind of cringe, I'm like, man, can, can I be that honest before God? And honestly speaking to you guys is very tough. It's tough for us to be that raw with God, right? It's a lot more comfortable for us to keep God at arm's length, showing him and showing all of us here around you that we're doing all right. You know, everything's okay. But David is telling us, in the Psalms, uh, that that God isn't interested in our pleasantries or acts of goodwill towards him. Our Heavenly Father is not interested in a relationship that is at arm's length with him, with our sound theology and our serving. He wants to get into our personal space. He wants his children to be honest with him, laying down our whole heart, Before him and not just the pieces that we want for him to have and the pieces that we want others to see in us. I believe that our honesty before God is also a window for others to see of our intimacy with God. The second observation that I want to make is that David trusted the Lord. And you often see honesty and trust come together. And in the same way, this second observation ties in with the first observation, meaning that David could only be honest with God because he trusted him with his whole heart. So from the outside, it's like very frustrating to see if David or or other people that you see continually turn to God in their times of trouble with seemingly no answer. But for David... It wasn't frustrating at all. He was going to his heavenly father. He was acting as if a child would act to his or her father. In Psalm 131, uh, David refers to himself as a baby who will not be consumed with matters too great for him that only God can understand. You know, babies, they don't question their parents. They entrust their entire lives every minute of every day to their parents, And just honestly speaking to all of us here, before an infinite God, aren't we all just babies, right? You know, these days, uh, I'm a first-time father of a five-month-old. And um, one of the things that's amazing and scary to me is how much my daughter Nora trusts me, right? Um, I love to play these games with her where I'm like swaying, her from side to side, and I do these little bounces where I'm doing this mini free falls, and I'm a tall guy, you know, like, if I drop her, she could get hurt. Um, But she's not thinking in her mind, right? Okay, like, daddy's done this, like, 20 times now. His legs must be getting tired, you know? can, Can he last for another 20 more? You know, she's not thinking about these, you know, external circumstances. She's not going through this internal turmoil in her mind, She just looks at me, right? She smiles and she just laughs from excitement because it's fun. As we wait, as we wait, can we be honest with God and trust that he's got everything in control? So this takes me to verse 2, which is listen for the Lord. Listen for the Lord. When we cry out to the Lord in honesty, the next step is we got to listen to what God is telling us. When was the last time that you guys um, got a song stuck in your head? A track that just kept going over and over again, looping, like unconsciously, right? So, okay, this is a little bit embarrassing for me to say, but about a year ago, I was going through a tough time, and um, Katy Perry saved the day for me. She came out with with a song called Roar, and I'll admit it, you know, like, I, I think that she's got some catchy hits. And um, so I'm just listening to it, and I'm sitting in my office, and it just plays, right? Like, just unconsciously. And I'm just on my computer, and I'm just, I've got the eye of the top. And then you go, like, to the grocery store, because I am a champion. And you're gonna hear me roar. You gotta scoop that end, right? Um, And, you know, if you're a guy, if you're a guy, you gotta be careful when a Katy Perry song wells up in you, right? You just gotta sing it. Like, you don't wanna be doing it in the waiting room at a Jiffy Lube, right? Where, like, there are guys around you with their car magazines decked out in their Patriots or their Bruins gear. Um, But... We've all had that moment. We've all had that moment where we got a song stuck in our head. Uh, But let's go beyond, right? Let's go beyond the songs on the radio. What about the sights? What about the sounds? What about the messages that this world and our culture are conveying to us? You know, uh, whether we're aware of it or not, the music of the world never stops. It just continues to cycle. And if it continues to cycle in us, unfiltered, and unchecked by what we know about God, then how can we not fall deeper into the pits that we find ourselves in? The world has its opinions about you, and the world has its opinions about God. And I'll tell you what, 99.9% of the time, they're wrong. And so how much deeper can we find ourselves in the pit if that's, going, that's just continually cycling in our head? So the question is, whose soundtrack are you listening to, right? Is it the world or is it God? David fought to listen to the Lord. In verse 5, he says this, Oh, Lord, my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite your deeds, I would never come to the end of them. Now, what's David doing here, right? He's doing a comparison contrast thing. He is reminding himself that God is above his current circumstances. God isn't saying these words to him in that moment. He's saying it to himself, right? He's reciting God's promises to himself in the midst of being in the pit. He's preaching truth over himself while he waits for God. So even in despair, David has not forgotten God. And just as the prophet Jeremiah was, was lowered into a, a literal pit, David is also lowered into his internal pit. But in David's internal pit, he sees a ladder. And it's a ladder filled with God's promises, God's faithfulness, what's going to eventually rescue him. And so when we are in the waiting room of life ourselves and find ourselves in the pit, the Bible tells us to remember God's goodness. The Lord is an anchor for our souls when we are in the pit. And uh, this is what it means. When you trust in that, this is what it means to be a maturing Christian, a Christian that's growing in faith. Uh, but, but just to be honest with all of you guys, isn't it just easier isn't it more convenient to listen to people around you instead of what God's saying to you? And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul struggled with with the Corinthians. So with the, the church of Corinth, uh, his complaint was that they were a ministry that, were, that was just following people rather than what God was telling them. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1-4 through four says this, Brothers and sisters... I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely human beings. You know, often we leave God, uh, we leave what God is trying to say to us aside for what people are saying to us uh, right in front of us, especially when we're in the waiting room. We are trying to scratch and claw our way out any way that we can, and it's usually the loudest voice that wins, right? David also struggled with the loudest voice. In verse 4 of our passage, he makes a choice not to listen to the proud and not to follow after people who follow their false idols, right? And so what are these false idols that, that we're talking about here? Well, I think that they're the go-to moves, right, for all of us. When we're stuck in a situation, when we're in the pits in our mind and in our heart, What are the things that we run to that we think are going to satisfy us? For some of us, it's things like impulsive buying, right, when we don't have the money for it. Uh, For some of us, it's an unhealthy concern with our body image. For some of us, it's lust when relationships are breaking down around us. For some of us, it's placing value on what people say above what God says to us. And for some of us, it's just keeping busy, right? Keeping busy because if you're busy, you don't have to think about the situation that you're in. If I'm busy, then there is no pit, right? Because I'm not thinking about it. But the reason why the Bible says that these are false idols is because they never satisfy. As soon as the thrill is over, as soon as we get what we want, we're left wanting more. They never satisfy. The truth is that we all suffer internally at different times in different pits because we are broken people and we still live in a broken world. The problem is that when we keep turning to the loudest voice in the moment, the natural consequence is that God's voice becomes dimmer and dimmer. And so if God's voice is on the same playing field as the idols in our hearts, then how can God have any weight in our lives especially when the pressure is on, especially when we're in the pit. King David, he listened to God's voice and he absorbed his words. God's words were planted deep in his heart and a solid foundation to stand on. So even though David was stuck in the waiting room, he knew who he was waiting for. Our passage starts off uh, saying that David waited patiently for the Lord, It doesn't say that David waited impatiently for God knows what, right? The waiting is still the hardest part. It's still hard for David and for all of us, but it makes it a whole lot better when you know who's waiting for you on the other side. Um, Many of us are listening to so many voices, so many songs on our playlist that when the Lord shows up, we don't have the attention span for him. And that's kind of what happened in the story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10. Jesus shows up at their house, and Martha is preparing the food. She's getting everything ready, and Mary just decides to plop herself in front of Jesus as he's teaching. And so Martha gets upset with Mary and says, you know, Jesus... Tell my sister to help me out. And and Jesus rebukes Martha and says, Martha, you're concerned about many things. I'm one of those things, which is a good thing, but I'm one of many things that you're concerned about. Mary has found the one thing that you should be concerned about, and it's not going to be taken away from her. And so uh, when we are in the internal pits of life, A Martha kind of person is someone who might initially turn to Jesus for help, but then a second later will try to get herself out of the mess that she's in. And how many of us are like that? Most of us are like that. We'd rather throw away the instruction manual, right? Fix the problem ourselves, fix the situation, instead of listening to God's voice. The problem is not the situation that we're in. The problem is a missed perspective of our mind and and of our heart. We try hard to physically fix what God can only heal through his spirit. All of our efforts, all of our trying, usually end up with us deeper in the pit, with the walls higher up, so that God or anyone else can't penetrate it. David confesses um, in verse 12 of our passage, for troubles surround me, too many to count. My sins piling up so high that I can't see my way out. I have lost, they outnumber all the hairs on my head. I have lost all courage. And so my question is, have your sins piled up? Have you lost courage too? Do you need to confess before God that you've been trying to fix your situation when what you really need is for God to come and heal you by his spirit? We all need fresh air when we're in the pit, a breath of fresh air. We all need a new song in our heart. And so that leads me to the final point, the chorus, which is sing a new song from the Lord. Back in the beginning of our passage this morning, when David cries out to God, uh, it says that God eventually turned to him and he heard him, he heard his cries. And then it says in verse two and three, it says, he lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet uh, on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. Then David says that God has given him a new song to sing a hymn of praise to our God. And David right here, he's making it obvious that it's God who lifts, sets our feet, steadies us, who puts a new song into our hearts. He's basically shouting out to all of us, it's 100% God. It's all him. If we want to get out of the pit ourselves, out of the waiting rooms that we're in, Psalm 40 is telling us, David is telling us that we need divine intervention. We can't do it on our own. And David is smart enough to know that because of his relationship with God. And God's voice is the only thing that will rescue him. And so he says this in verse 6 He says, Now you have made me listen, I finally understand. But This translation is kind of like an over bird's eye view translation. What the passage literally says is that God has dug out ears for me. God had to come and dig out spiritual ears for David so that he was even able to hear his voice. This is complete divine intervention. For us, in order to hear a new song from God, We need to come first, not listen with our physical ears, but listen with ears that God digs out for us by his spirit. But what is David and what do we want to do all the time is uh, we want to offer sacrifice and offerings is what we want to do. He says this in the beginning of verse six, you take no delight in sacrifices and offerings now that you have Dug out years from me, I finally understand. And so for many of us, if you're like the religious type of person, um, go to the church and you know, do your good deeds. If you're if you're religious, the conversation we might have with God is, you know, haven't I been here enough? Haven't I served enough? Haven't I lived a good enough life? So haven't I earned enough credit? to get out of whatever tough situation that you've put me in or that I've put myself in. Rather, what we try to do as humans is we try to dig ourselves out of the pits, but the question is, do we need to stop singing the same old song and dance, to quote, to quote Aerosmith? Um, do we need to stop fixing in our flesh what only God can heal by his spirit. And so here's another example. Let's let's just assume that you're not a doctor. We might have doctors here, but let's just assume that you're not a doctor. And um, the world and our sins throw us in the pit and gives us like a deep cut from it, right? What we religious people try to do is we try to put different Band-Aids on it, different colored Band-Aids, or different types of solutions. But in the end, we're still bleeding. And eventually, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to find a doctor to heal you, right? Because otherwise, you're just going to bleed out. And so the question is, are our spiritual hearts, are they bleeding out before God? Have we lost all courage? Do we need a new song of praise before God? And I just want to say uh, that while we're here on earth, we don't want to assume that if God puts a new song in our heart, it's going to last every day until the day we die because we are still broken people living in a broken world. We have to wait for heaven for the eternal song to be played every day and every day new. But David, and so David in beautiful poetic fashion takes us through the ebb and flows of different kind of waiting rooms. And he brings us to the end of Psalm 40 of the passage where he leaves us in the waiting room, right? Like you think that singing a song about waiting and about God and how he's restoring us is gonna leave us victorious, but no, he leaves us in the waiting room. In verse 17, it says, as for me, since I am poor and needy, let the Lord keep me in his thoughts. You are my helper and my savior. Oh my God, do not delay. And it ends right there. Even though God gave David a new song in the beginning of Psalm 40, at the end of Psalm 40, we're we're not victorious. We're still left in the waiting room crying out for our helper and our savior. And so what Psalm 40 is doing is that it's trying to lead us, right? It's trying to bait us into going from the Old Testament into the New Testament, where we are to see Jesus who is our ultimate helper and our ultimate savior. When humanity cried out and waited patiently for the Lord, God turned to us, He heard our cry, and He sent us His very Son in Jesus Christ. Jesus was thrown into the waiting room with us and for us. Jesus waited constantly. He waited for his disciples to understand who he was and what he was here to do. Jesus waited for God's cup of wrath to be taken from him in the garden of Gethsemane. But instead, he decided to follow God's will above what he asked. But it was our sin. Right? It was our sin, our pits, that led Jesus to the cross, ultimately crushing him under the weight. And then on the third day, God raises Jesus to life again. And for those of us who put our faith and trust in him, he raises us to life with him as well. And to me, this is the ultimate new song. Jesus is our new song of hope. You know, one of the many names that Jesus uh, is referenced to in the Old Testament uh, comes from Zephaniah, where a lot of people say that this is a passage that is foreshadowing of Jesus, and so Jesus is called the Singing Savior. And so, Zephaniah three seventeen it says, "For the Lord your God is living among you; he is a mighty Savior." He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. And then in verse 20, on that day I will gather you together and bring you home again. I will give you a good name, a name of distinction among the nations of the earth as I restore your fortunes before their very eyes. I, the Lord, have spoken. The new song that the Lord gives us is a a song of hope that crashes through the pits of despair. It breaks into our waiting room. God turned to us and sent us his son in Jesus to save us both from the external and from the internal pits. Once and for all, Jesus is the one who sings over us a song of hope and salvation while we're in the waiting rooms. So, Let your song, let you turn to Jesus, turn to him in your despair and in your pain, and he'll put a new song in you. And so um, I want to share this example. Just just last week, um, me and about 40 other worship leaders, we were in this web conference together with other well-known worship leaders. One of the worship leaders um, in the web conference was Chris Tomlin. And uh, God has used Chris to supply like 70% of the songs that we sing here in the church today. And um, he was talking specifically about songwriting. And he was referring to uh, one of his songs, Whom Shall I Fear? The God of Angel Armies. Um, and he says that, he said that God blessed him a lot in his life in... Um, you know, songwriting, obviously. Um, but there are so many times where he falls into the temptation to write a song um, to fo- that follows the latest trend, or to write a song that has a fun beat, and he knows that it's going to sell records. Um, but he says, songs like this, Whom Shall I Fear, are often those songs that come to him when he's in the middle of something painful, or he's in the middle of some kind of struggle. And he said, particularly with this song, um, it came to him late in the night, and he was just crying out to God, and it was just him and the Lord. And he said that the Lord led him to Scripture and uh, put a put a chorus in his heart. And uh, Chris said that it's usually... Uh, with all the songs that he's written, it's usually these simple songs where he's crying out to the Lord, where God puts a song in his heart. And these are the songs that are really, really simple for the church to sing, but they're often the songs that last the longest. And so, um, if you're in the middle of the waiting room, if you're in the middle of the pit, then be honest and cry out to him we've seen throughout all of history, you've seen throughout your own personal history, God's faithfulness, God's power. And so turn to what you remember of him and he's going to put a new song in your heart. And so I just want to end this morning by just sharing from my own life why this song is so powerful. And, um, you know, most of you guys know this, but For those of you who don't, you know, I'm going to be stepping down from my position here at Genesis um, within the next, you know, couple months. And, um, you know, me and my family, we really believe that we are walking in obedience to God. But it's a really scary thing. You know, it's so scary. Um, I just think about my daughter and I get scared. Um, But I know that God is faithful I know that he's powerful. I've seen it through history. I've seen it in my own life. And I preach to myself every day the gospel of truth in my heart so I don't fall deeper into the pit. And so I share this with you guys because I know that so many of us here, are we are in our own pits too. You guys have your own situations, your own struggles that you're going through. But just to let you know that, you know, I'm, I'm one person who's there with you. And God is a good, good father, and he will bring us out. He may not necessarily take us to this grand, um, you know, new new circumstance or new situation that we have in our minds. But he's going to, in our crying out to him, he's going to make our relationship with him a lot more intimate. And we'll know him more through that. And, you know, that's the hope, isn't it? And so um, I'm going to finish with this quote. Uh, it's from Corrie Ten Boom, which is a really interesting name. Uh, but she's a Christian, she was a Christian author who was in prison for helping Jews escape Nazi Germany. And this is a quote that I desperately want to live by in my life, especially now. And she says, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God.